Um, as the choir is making their way down, there are a few announcements that I wish to bring to your attention. Next Sunday, next Sunday afternoon, right after church at about 12.30, we are supposed to be having our um, Valentine luncheon. Um, however, if we do not know if you are coming, we cannot make food for you. And so I was asked this morning to remind you to please don't tell her today, but in the morning, call the church office and let Trish know that you are coming so that the folks that are preparing the food for us know how much to get. Because if you don't call, there may not be enough, and that would be embarrassing. So please call and let us know that you are planning on coming. Um, that is the 12th. The next Saturday, which is the 18th, um, is supposed to be our, um, well, not it's supposed to be, will be our Brotherhood um, annual pancake breakfast. Annual after a hiatus of a couple of years um, because of COVID. Um, there are still tickets available for that. It is $8, all you can eat in person, or you can take a plate to go. If you have tickets left over from uh, 2020, um, those tickets will be honored. If you need new tickets, um, see any member of the Brotherhood, or, or I guess we could probably help you in the church office with that as well. Um, so uh, that is going to be a good thing to do. Um, I will tell you this. If I am able, I will see you at both of those things, um, but the likelihood of that is increasingly slim um, as it is increasingly clear that hopefully, please, knock on wood, um, this baby is going to show up before his intended due date of the 17th of February. So, I did not mention it during prayer time, but I will mention it now. Be praying for us. Um, be praying that I will find it in myself to pack my hospital bag sometime between now and the time Audrey goes into labor. Her bag is packed. Mine is not, which I am reminded of on a regular basis. Um, I figure if I don't pack it, he'll come sooner. So um, that's, the, that's the plan. Um, I also want to let you know um, Audrey and James are not here today. James has had a bad week. On Monday night, he fell and busted his um, eyebrow ridge and had to go down and get stitches. Um, and then Thursday night, he came, has come down with some sort of nasty viral sort of infection-y thing. Um, we took him to the pediatrician yesterday, um, and um, they told us that uh, there was uh, no COVID, RSV, or flu. Now, the nurse who helped us, I don't know if you can trust her. It was Taylor. Um, no, I know it was it was wonderful, and I I have to say um, I can get very frustrated sometimes with the bureaucracy of healthcare. Um, but this week, having a sick little one, both in Dillon and at the Children's Clinic, having providers who loved him and cared for him it was wonderful, and it helped Mama and Daddy feel a little more comfortable as well. So, thank you. I have to pick. I pick because I care. We are going to be in Luke today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. We are continuing to make our way through the New Testament here in these first 90 days of the year. And as I was looking this week to look at what our readings were for this week and trying to figure out what it was that we would be spending our time in this Sunday morning, um, I realized that we have uh, Luke's presentation of the Lord's Supper 
of the supper there in the upper room. And since it was the first Sunday of the month, which is the Sunday that we come together and celebrate the Lord's table, it seemed right for me that we would spend time in this portion of Luke. So we're going to be in Luke. We're going to be in, uh, starting with, uh, um, like I said, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 22, starting with verse 14. Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I'd ask that you grab that black hardback Bible in front of you. It's on page three, 935 in that. Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, please take one of those with you this morning as our gift to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 14. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread. And he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But, look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue amongst themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. God, your your love for us finds full expression in the gift of your son, Jesus who willingly met betrayal and death and poured himself out to set us free from sin. And so, God, my prayer is that we would have the courage, that you would give us the courage to live obediently in these days until we meet the glory of our risen Savior. And so, God, as we study your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Maybe may be seated. You know, the, the, the supper is one of these things that we do a lot, but oftentimes I don't think we think about it. We don't reflect on it. We, we don't think about what it means, right? We just, you know, it's the first Sunday of the month for us. At least since I've been here, it's been the first Sunday of the month. We come together, the deacons come forward, we pass out the elements, we do this thing, we say these words and we go about our way. For some churches, it's every Sunday. For some churches, it's once a quarter. Some churches, it's only a couple of times a year. But, but I think we, we fail to think about it. We fail to engage with it. And when we do that, we run the risk of it becoming empty and void. And, and Scripture is very clear to us that that this should not be empty and void, that we must not approach this table cavalierly, that we must not approach this table frivolously, 
we'll read a little bit later from 1 Corinthians in which Paul talks about what happens to those who approach the table frivolously. And if we say that the word of God is authoritative, then we must take the words of Paul seriously, that we must be serious when we come to this table. And the best way I know to help you become serious about what is happening at this table is for us to talk about it. Is for us to look at Scripture, look at what Scripture says, and consider the table. This passage from Luke starts with this phrase, when the hour came, when the hour came, Luke is full of little phrases like this to let us know what's going on, but this is one of those phrases that as we, we see, as we contemplate, as we think about it, is sort of double-loaded. Because what he means is when the hour for the Passover meal had come, because that was set, that's set at a certain time, is when the Passover meal is, is to be started and is to be celebrated. But we also know that over and over again in the Gospels and in Scripture, when it says the hour had come or the day had come or the time has come, that it means that it's the fulfillment of something that God is at work doing. And so when he says the hour had come, yes, he means the hour for the Passover meal, but he also means the hour for the passion of Christ to begin. Because this is, this is when the Lord's passion starts. It's not upon his arrest or, or his trial. His, his, his passion, his, 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 that, that those last few hours of Christ's life begin not in a garden, not in a courtroom, not, not strapped to a post being whipped, but begin, as Satori pointed out, with his friends, with his closest disciples gathered around the table. Now, I will say one thing. Satori, I know that we are Baptists, but it was wine. But this is what's happened, right? It's the time has come. The time has come for the Lord's work to begin and to be fulfilled. And so what happens? He, he says, the text says that he reclines at the table. Now, most of us, if we had reclined at the table, what would our mothers have done to us? We would have gotten informed that that was not the way we did things, Right? We'll say it that way. Some of us were informed, even if we put our, our elbows which on the table, that, that was not the way to do things, which I never could understand how this was my elbow. But I'd put this on the table, and I'd be told to get my elbows off the table. I'm like, that's not my elbow. That's my ulna. That's my elbow. Anyway. But the reason you recline at the table is, is that's, that's how you share an intimate meal. That, that, that has importance. Luke is telling us that what Jesus is doing, he's not sharing a, a quick bite with his friends. He is sitting down for an extended meal. Just as you or I might do on a special occasion with our friends. And then we see that when Jesus starts speaking there in verse 15, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
we see that it's not just the time that begins to have double meaning here. But, but Jesus linking the Passover meal that he is sharing with his disciples and his suffering and death that is to come. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. Let's remember what meal they're sharing. It's the meal to commemorate the night in which the angel of death was sent by God into Egypt. And those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house, the angel of death passed over. And those who were not washed in the blood of the lamb lost their firstborn. What Christ is saying is, remember that? The story that is at the very core of who we are as God's people. That was but a sign for what's about to happen. Because what I'm about to do is I'm about to be the perfect final Passover lamb. I'm about, to, I'm about to shed my blood so that you can be washed in it and the angel of death pass over. We know that, that Christ is seen by the early church as the Passover lamb. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 7, he says, For Christ is our Passover lamb, and he has been sacrificed. All of the things that come in the, in the Old Testament are testimony to what is going to be fulfilled in Christ. Passover, not the least. And so, we see Jesus saying, I, I wanted to share this meal with you I wanted to gather around this table. I wanted us to spend this time together because something is happening here that's going to change everything. You know how the Passover meal is central to who we are as God's people? Well, I'm about to institute a new meal that will be central to who we are as God's people. A new, fulfilled, perfected Passover. And so he takes the bread and the cup and he blesses them and he hands them out to his disciples. And there's a new feast of the Lamb. That's one of the things that you eat at Passover. Right? You eat the Passover Lamb. It's one of those reasons that if I wasn't a Christian, I'd I'd be a Jew, because I love lamb. I eat a lot of lamb. And don't worry, if you're a vegetarian, it's fine. She'll make lamb. My big fat Greek wedding. Anybody? But that's the meal that, that, that comes to you at the Passover. It's, it's lamb. And so what Jesus says is, he says, he says, you know how you eat the Passover lamb? Well, now you're going to eat the new, perfect, fulfilled Passover lamb. There's going to be a new meal of the lamb. And oh, guess what? I'm not going to partake in this meal anymore until we partake in the culmination of the feast of the lamb in the new heaven and the new earth when we're all together. 
So he, he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he institutes this new meal and he tells us to do it. This is, this is what we mean. You, you may have heard this word ordinance before. The word ordinance means something that has been ordained by God for us to do. As Baptists, we understand there to be two ordinances. Let me rephrase that. As non-foot-washing Baptists, we believe for there to be two ordinances. Foot-washers believe that there are three. You can figure out what the third one is by their name. Aren't you glad that we aren't foot-washers? I don't know about you, but I know I don't want to wash y'all's feet. Because I don't know where y'all been walking. But we have two ordinances. Baptism, which is how we enter into the community, and the table, which is how we come together as God's people, come together as the community. Of God. An ordinance is something that's been commanded by Jesus for us to do. And so as he breaks the bread, he tells us, this is my body broken for you. And as we think about what that means, think about what it was that Jesus suffered on his way to the cross. The whips. The punishment. The crown of thorns jammed onto his head. The, the physical exertion of carrying his own instrument of death through the city. His body, broken, humiliated for us. For you me and then he takes the cup it's interesting in Luke he, he takes the cup twice which makes sense if you understand early first century Passovers there are multiple times in which the cup is taken up and blessed but after the meal he takes the cup up and he blesses it again and he says this is the cup of the new covenant what was the the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was the covenant that began when the blood of the Lamb was washed on the doorposts of God's people's houses. So this is the new covenant. The new Passover. The new perfect sacrifice offered up by the new perfect priest. And then he says that he is poured out. Poured out. And we use that phrase and we think about that phrase, but I want us to think about what's he talking about? He's talking about his blood. Now, Jamie fell and busted his forehead on Monday. And like all head wounds, it bled. A lot. A lot. But really bad, I 
when we got home from the hospital, I let the dog out, and I realized because the dog had been right under Audrey while she had been holding his forehead, he had blood on his muzzle where the blood had dripped onto him. But it had dripped onto him. It had not been poured out. As much as a head wound might bleed, it doesn't pour out our blood. I want you to think about the quantity that is required for it to be poured out. I read from the Christ hymn from Philippians at the beginning of worship. in which they talk about that Christ emptied himself. Now, the word there that means emptied himself, there's a lot to it. Yes, he's he's talking about his blood, that his blood is emptied and his blood is poured out from us, but he also means that the, the, the entirety of who Christ was was emptied out of him for us. His humanity and his divinity, he poured out for us. Why? Why would anybody do that for anyone? Well, the Passover requires the blood of the Lamb. So that we can rest under the blood of the Lamb. So that the angel of death can pass over us. So that we can become part of God's chosen. Brothers and sisters, when we come together at this table and we take this meal together, we are affirming a common faith. We're affirming a common faith that announces Christ's substitutionary, atoning death. What does that mean? That means Christ substituted himself for us and that by his death our sins are atoned for, our sins are forgiven. We're affirming a common faith that says that in a new covenant we have unified relationship with him, with God. And we are affirming a common faith that says that his ongoing, real, and spiritual presence is in our lives. I often read from 1 Corinthians 11 when we have the table together. And in that, we say that that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do so to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What we're saying there is that his death for us is in the past. But his power and provision for us is in the present and it will be in the present until he returns for us, his elect, in the future. And so what is the supper? When we come together around this table, what are we doing? We are partaking in a new meal that unifies us. We are partaking in an ordinance 
but we're also partaking in something that through the history of the church we've referred to as an ordinary means of grace. And what that means is it doesn't mean that there's something here that happens that saves you. But what it means is that for us to grow in Christ-likeness, we have to experience his grace. And there are some very basic, common, ordinary ways that we experience that. The reading and proclamation of his word is an ordinary means of grace. Spending time in prayer with Christ and God is an ordinary means of grace. Baptism, as we enter into the waters of baptism and come out of them into Christ, it is an ordinary means of grace. It is a thing that God has given us that is very ordinary. Is there anything more ordinary than water? And yet through that, we, still, we see and we experience God's grace and we grow in Christ-likeness. And the table. And here's the thing. Are, is there anything more basic than bread and juice? Bread and the fruit of the vine. Is there anything more common than these, more ordinary. And yet when we come and we experience it, we're promised by Scripture that somehow we grow in Christ-likeness. And I wish I could tell you how that works. I wish I could tell you, well, here's how it happens. I don't know. This is one of the mysteries of the faith. And we have to be okay with mysteries of the faith. But we have to be here. And, and, and if we read Scripture and we understand Scripture and we look over in, in 1 Corinthians 10 and we see Paul say, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? We have to understand that something happens here. And it's not that the bread becomes the physical body of Christ and the blood becomes the physical blood, the, the cup becomes the physical blood. We're not Roman Catholics. We don't believe in transubstantiation. We're not even Lutheran. We don't even believe in consubstantiation. These are big words. You don't need to know what they mean. What you need to know is that what happens at this table, there is a real and spiritual presence of Christ present here. And so, brothers and sisters, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, come with the seriousness of what this table is. Come in the proclamation of our shared and common faith. Come with humble hearts, expecting to encounter Because Scripture promises us that in some way His broken body and His poured out blood is present. We're going to share and proclaim our common faith together. Our congregation has long affirmed that our understanding of a common faith is found in the ancient confessions of the church. 
and particularly the one known as the Apostles' Creed. So before we 